This is the Education Gadfly Show. Uh, well, GQ's a man, but what do you say for a woman? She's, I don't know. Well preserved? What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Alyssa Schwenk of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-host, the Queen Elizabeth II of Education Reform, Robert Pondicio. I beg your pardon? The Queen is turning 90 this week. Oh. Happy birthday, Queen. Happy. You know, I was it's thinking a, we should get in touch with, uh, with, with Her Royal Highness and, and ask very nicely if she'll take us back. See, I wanted to get in touch with her to ask very nicely if I could babysit her great-grandchildren because oh, no, no, they're no. adorable. I have you much want, larger concerns. This is a larger thing. We clearly, thing. in 2016, have, have shown ourselves incapable of managing mm-hmm. our affairs as an independent nation. I think we need to go home. Well, you know, she's a pretty resilient and hearty leader. I think she... She's been on the throne for 63 years. She's still going on all of these tours and state visits at like 90. She could right. probably wrangle us back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take us back, please. Take us all back. All is forgiven, I hope. I think it's a heck of a 90th birthday present. <laughs> exactly. Your former colonies, we're coming back. All right. As we wait for our telegram to go across the ocean to QE2, Clara, why don't we play some part in the gadfly? Robert, you recently wrote a piece about Secretary John King's speech about returning to a well-rounded American education. How does ESSA allow or not allow for this? You know, I, I have to say, I'm going to be a little bit prideful here. It felt to me in listening to his speech last Thursday mm-hmm. in Las Vegas, like he was chatting. Lisa Hansel and I, who wrote this op-ed for the Gadfly a few weeks ago, about the need to use ESSA to restore a well-rounded education. Mm-hmm. I, I've been talking about this, you know, since the Earth cooled. So <laughs> I, I, I was just going to go with since I met you, uh, but well, if we're going back a couple little, more years, little, little longer okay. than that. But no, I, I was just really delighted to hear him talk about this. Um, you know, and I don't want to uh, repeat too much stuff that we've talked about in past Gadflies, but this has been my mm-hmm. kind of my thing in education, and it's not my thing. It was E.D. Hirsch's thing thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. When Dan Willingham's thing, and it's the right thing. This is what I learned mm-hmm. as, a, as a teacher in, in the fifth grade in the South Bronx. Uh, when kids fail to learn to read, it typically has less to do with decoding and more to do with their lack of background mm-hmm. knowledge. Uh, so I was just delighted to hear John King uh, basically parroting this line and saying that ESSA gives, by returning accountability to the states, gives them the opportunity to choose different metrics, uh, to incentivize the teaching of a well-rounded curriculum. If you care about low-income kids, if you care about reading achievement, that's what we need. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how does this kind of push in this promotion? And, you know, he did say in his speech, it's, you know, on the states now, mm-hmm. jibe with what we're seeing with ESSA regulations and the negotiations around, like, what ESSA actu- actually means. Well, yeah, actually, I was just going to uh, make one smart aleck remark, which is <laughs> just, just like me. Uh, it, it figures that at long last we have an education secretary who gets it on mm-hmm. well-rounded curriculum just at the time that we're kicking accountability back to the states. So thanks, John. Appreciate that. <laughs> Wish your predecessor had been a little bit more uh, vocal about this. Uh, but no, I mean, what, uh, you know, ESSA does give states enormous amount of flexibility uh, mm-hmm. in terms of how they uh, hold themselves and hold teachers accountable. Uh, the, the primary bugaboo, if you like, that I've had for mm-hmm. years is that reading tests specifically, if you if you follow them logically, encourage bad mm-hmm. practice. Reading comprehension is not a skill. It's It has more to do with the amount of background knowledge and vocabulary mm-hmm. that, that kids have. But reading tests really incentivize teachers to treat reading like a skill. Uh, so, um, you know, there's any number of ways that you can attack this. You could, mm-hmm. um, I'm not suggesting I want to start measuring inputs, but there are worse ideas. You could start measuring or start demanding 150 minutes. I'm making these numbers up of science or social studies. Bring back art and music and, and hold teachers or schools accountable for teaching those subjects.
subjects. The larger point being, the more you know, the better you read. It's not a skill. I like to say this, I say this all the time. Reading comprehension is not a skill you teach. It's mm-hmm. a condition you create. ESSA allows states to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of my favorite parts about ESSA is if, you know, regulations interpreted in the way that we hope that it's interpreted. And Mike does have a piece out to Tuesday looking at, you know, the debate between the role of the Secretary of Education moving forward. And our belief is that the state should have more power under ESSA. Accountability has been been returned to them. And kind of my hope, like, if that happens is like people are allowed to be creative and people are allowed to be innovative and states are allowed to start putting these things back into the curriculum and back mm-hmm. into their classrooms in a way that hasn't really happened over the last 15 or so years. So I'm hopeful, but it's a big question mark. It it's is, a first step. A, it is a first step. It's encouraging to hear uh, the man who has the biggest bully pulpit mm-hmm. in American education talking about this. But look, let's be honest, there's equally good, good chance that a lot of states will just continue to do dumb things. That's very true. They have the right. They certainly do. Question two, Clara. The Vergara case will be going to the California Supreme Court after the most recent ruling sided with the state's teachers. First Friedrichs, now Vergara. Is education reform at the judicial level doomed to fail? Boy, sure looks that way. I mean, I don't think it's quite doomed, but given the changes in the court's makeup, it's certainly, I feel like going the judicial route has kind of been the preferred method over the last few years. It's faster. The courts have leaned more conservative. It's a way to kind of cut through the morass that state legislatures and Congress can often be. But that's very subject to who's on that court. Uh, it is. And I want now I, I'm not enough of a legal scholar to know what the the, the next step here mm-hmm. is. But certainly if you're expecting the Supreme Court to intervene, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Uh, you know, this is this may be unrelated, but I also recall hearing that there's a tremendous number of vacancies right now on state level courts. So they're, 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 who knows uh, what what cases are, are, are waiting to be, are waiting to be heard mm-hmm. uh, and what those judges one day might feel. Yeah. But the larger question, you know, is education reform at the judicial level doomed to fail? Look, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit agnostic on this. On the one hand, um, you know, good decisions. Great. Mm-hmm. I'm always going to be the guy that says this battle is going to be won and lost at the classroom level, right. at the school and district level. Uh, if you have to coerce these kinds of decisions, then maybe you've already lost. Right. And I think it's kind of a gamed question. Certainly Mike's been saying this for a while. Rick Hess has been saying this, like policymakers and judges and courts can kind of set these conditions, but it's going to succeed or fail based on whether or not teachers are following through, classrooms are following through. And we need to stop thinking that just because we've implemented this policy, our job is done. We need to follow up. We need to ensure that implementation is good and help teachers and school level administrators and local communities really dig deep into the meat of reform. Yep. Live by local control, die by local control. And that, that strange sound you just heard was me and Alyssa Schwenk agreeing. Stranger things have happened, Robert. I Question- don't think so. <laughs> Question three. Hillary Clinton recently landed in some hot water after a speech Bill gave about her stance on standardized testing. A critic on the left accused her of abandoning education reform. Is this one big misunderstanding or does Secretary Clinton have some explaining to do? Both? Explaining to do. Oh, that was bad. Come on, man. That was the uh, Emilio Estevez reference, you pop culture girl. Oh, what was I, see, I, see, I thought it was uh, I Love Lucy. Well, that's what he was riffing on. Uh, but this, this <laughs> we're, we're referring here to, and I, okay, speaking of some splaining to do, uh, Kevin Mankin here at, the, uh, <laughs> at, at Fordham has some splaining to do. Uh, he had a piece, uh, and I love my, my friend Kevin, but, but I was kind of struck by why is he carrying Hillary Clinton's water here? In other words, you had Bill Clinton saying, oh, Hillary thinks that there's too much testing, and Hillary 
Hillary thinks there should be grade band testing. I've, I haven't heard, to Kevin's point, Hillary say this. But why does he just assume, Kevin, that is, that he knows Hillary Clinton's mind better than the guy who she's married to? I mean, it's politics. That does not answer my question. It's politics, it's an election year. Get Everyone's Kevin Mankin in here. I want, a, I want <laughs> him to explain himself to me. His piece, you saw it, it was somewhat exculpatory, I, right? I, I find it curious that Kevin was so eager to defend uh, Madam Secretary, the woman who would be president against these charges of backpedaling on education reform, because so. I'm not, she, the, the, I assume Bill Clinton may know a little bit about her mind. I mean, I certainly think he and Hillary certainly have discussed policy. I also think, think Bill, I also think based on 20 years of evidence, Bill Clinton has a tendency to riff, and certainly we saw in 2008, certainly we've seen now, he is, a, you know, a surrogate who sometimes goes off message or sometimes says things that maybe her policy advisors haven't always said, like, yes, that's our policy on XYZ. I do think what Kevin is trying now, to now you're doing it. <laughs> what? What Keep is me on my is, talking? Is, is, this, is this Fordham? Uh, has my brain fallen out of my head? Why are we carrying the secretary's water here at the Fort Thomas B. Fordham Institute? I think what we are doing is talking about remarks that her husband made and not focusing on the actual issue, which is where does Hillary stand on a lot of education reform issues? And I think what we have seen in the actual textual evidence, Brendan has a very nice roundup. And now you're going all common core archive. on the side evidence and text. I try. I try on like what she has actually said, what policies she's actually indicated she takes on uh, educational issues. And I think what we do see is a dedicated pattern of her being to the left of where many in education reform would necessarily feel comfortable with her being. Let me make a very simple observation. When her husband went off the rails on Black Lives Matter protesters a couple of weeks ago, within minutes... This, the, the, the Clinton campaign had corrected the record. Was there a correction of the record on her stance on testing? If there was, I missed it. I was not searching for that. Okay. My point being... Just saying. At this point, Robert, I think you're engaging in a little bit of speculation around what her motives may be. Let's. We don't know quite what's going on mm. in her mind. We do have her policies in front of us. What she said has indicated that she's a little bit to the left of where the Obama White House has been. She's a lot closer with teachers' unions. She's been very clear that... You know, she has their endorsement. She's been very clear that her focus will be on kind of early childhood ed. She's indicated in her statements that K-12 might not be as much of a keystone issue in education that we've seen it be in the last several years. All I want is for Hillary Clinton to make a statement and tell her, tell us where she stands on testing. I think that's all the time we have right now to look into that crystal ball. Uh, thank you, Clara. Up next, Amber's Research Minute. And we're back with Amber's Research Minute. Welcome, Amber. Thank you, Alyssa. Earlier, we were discussing, did you know that Queen Elizabeth is turning 90 this week? I had heard that. She oh. is getting up there, isn't she? No, she has gotten she's there. She's gotten there. Yes, right. she's gotten there. There's no more getting. Yeah, she, I mean, she right. seems And quite, she's still getting around, right? right? She seems very spry, and she's I always there with the handbag so. and the and coat. And she's still all GQ'd up. Well, GQ's a man, but what do you say for a woman? She's... I don't know. Well preserved? <laughs> that is not what you said. <laughs> Bless your heart. I don't know. Yes. You're a southern girl. Uh, looking, looking well. I think looking it's the well. best thing Spry, that you can say about yes. Energetic. Put together. She's got the corgis. They keep her young. Yes. Hey, but she can't dance like Dick Van Dyke can at 90. 
I don't even know how to respond. Does she even know who Dick Van Dyke is? She has people who who talk about these things. All right, back on topic. Amber, what do you got for us today? We have a new study out by Rand that looks at Common Core implementation. Uh, Is this not our favorite topic around here? I think it is our favorite topic. This is a great study. Uh, It is. So they look at states' um, implementation via data from teacher surveys. So they have two nationally representative surveys of U.S. teachers. These are K-12 teachers in math and ELA. The surveys were administered in the summer and fall of 2015. Just because I care about this stuff, the response rates range from 57 to 62 percent, with roughly 1,100 to 1,700 teachers responding to each survey, which is not bad because Mm -hmm. it's really hard to get decent response rates anymore. Everybody who does research knows this. So anyhow, that was a pretty decent rate. Uh, The questionnaires focus on teachers' perceptions and practices as they relate to key instructional approaches as reflected primarily in the Common Core. This report is 167 pages. Pages. Mm-hmm. You can do curls with it. Now, am I going to get a minute out of 167 <laughs> pages? I'm probably going to get a little more than a minute. Go. We'll but I'm going to give you quick seven findings. Quick. Okay. <laughs> Number one, the majority of math teachers, when asked if they ever used or selected particular materials, mostly say they develop materials themselves. <sighs> Again, we've heard this. 97% of elementary teachers develop materials themselves. But when you get beyond that finding, you find that Engage New York was also reported to be used by 44% of elementary teachers. Mm-hmm. Pretty big number mm-hmm. there. Wow. Okay. Number two, 98% of elementary teachers report using leveled readers. Oh, no. Now, hold hold on. They also have this really cool follow-up question that then asks them how they use them. Okay? Mm-hmm. So high percentages, this is about 68%, say they use them to support struggling, read, struggling students in place of the grade-level text other students are reading. Wonk, Common wonk. Core party foul. Can we put party a like, sound effect in right there? Wonk, wonk, wonk. wonk. All right, 66% use them for free reading time. That's not bad, right? Yeah, it's better it's, than Okay. Of the stick, I guess. 41% wow. use them as an entry point for struggling students before introducing a more challenging text for the whole class to read together. All right, Come I can on. live with that. All right, <laughs> see, that's why I like the question. It was a little more nuanced. Yeah. As for online resources, this one really got me. The most popular are, just take a guess. Oh, wow. Pinterest. You knew it already. <laughs> I've been saying this for months, though. I'm happy that it validates what I have been saying. The funny thing is I read the study, and that I, that point eluded me. And, and Google.com. Google. Should you even count Google.com? Like counting is about.com or FD is on the list. I know. Google.com. That was weird. Shouldn't have been in there. Number four, when asked whether the instructional materials they use support particular practices, and then they had a bunch of practices, okay? So high percentages say that the following... I mean, mean, their materials support the following practices, okay? The materials allow them to use evidence from a text to make inferences or support conclusions drawn from a text. Mm -hmm. That's good, That is good, and that's the one common core instructional shift that seems to have stuck. We've been beating up on materials for a long time, so what I think the data are starting to show is that there are some things that are these instructional shifts in the common core that materials are starting to pick up on, okay? The other one is the materials allow students to read a fictional text of sufficient grade-level complexity, I think there was like 61% maybe ELA teachers said that. Mm. All right. But here, in my opinion, is where the gap is. Fewer responded similarly for strengthening. Ah, the worst time was similarly. That's a hard word to say. <laughs> I can't say external relations, which is a problem because it's my for job your job. You're right. Okay. Yeah. Um, strengthening writing by planning, revising, and editing text. Materials don't do that well. Mm. Uh, fewer teachers say materials don't do that well. Adapting mm. speech to a variety of contexts. 
and writing short or sustained research projects. So in other words, I think the bottom line is the materials still don't really address writing Hold all that on. well. Can I offer another bottom line? Sure. The teachers in the surveys were clearly unclear on some of the instructional shifts. So mm-hmm. why do we think those same teachers are fit to judge the quality of the materials? Mm. Well, they're saying they're not doing the quality materials. They're saying whether or not their materials support that shift. Yeah, eh. Right. But I mean, what, to me, the, the, the glaring finding in the RAND study was, one, the leveled reading stuff, yep. where that is still mm-hmm. the dominant form of ELA instruction. And while it's not explicitly forbidden, so to speak, under mm-hmm. Common Core, nor mm-hmm. is it encouraged, uh, and, and and there's still a lot of questions about what close reading is or is yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're interrupting me with my, with my number six and seven. Amber has six and seven. Anyway, all right, but it's okay, because I was going to ask you what your takeaway was anyway, but you just you, you just it. gave one of your, your big your big takeaways. Anyway, um, this is kind of, do I have to report this? One quarter of all teachers have received no PD on their curricula. We, we know that they just don't get the PD, right? Mm-hmm. Vast majorities have received fewer than eight hours. I don't know what the magic number of hours is, but... Yeah, well, anyhow. I mean, but you still have a... quantity and the more the quality well, of yes. hours. And me but it too. also shows, does it not, that teachers are still, by and large, uh, uh, the dominant form of curriculum is homegrown. That what you do yourself. Mm-hmm. So how are you going right. to get PD on your own homegrown oh, curriculum? Good point. Number six. Sorry, it's taking me so long. Uh, most ELA teachers say they focus on reading skills first, then organize teaching around them. This is a Fordham question that mm. they borrowed from us. Um, and then 21% choose particular text students should read and organize instruction around them. So it's kind of like, you understand this point, Robert. Um, teaching particular text is obviously a more text-centered approach than teaching the skill first. Amen. Okay. Mm-hmm. And last one, and then we're going to just free to just blather on about this. Um, the survey queried about connections among standards. So they wanted to see if math teachers knew about coherence, like how different mm-hmm. standards relate to one another. Um, teachers at the lower grade levels compared to the secondary teachers were more likely to be able to choose the correct below grade standard and above grade standard relative to the standard they were mm-hmm. asking them about. It's okay. not surprising. They seem to have a little better idea of how the things flow. Yeah. And then uh, they have a bunch of recommendations, one of which is, your point, teachers need more guidance around what the heck close reading means. Mm-hmm. Um, they need more guidance around leveled readers, what's how you're supposed to use these things. And math teachers need a little bit more guidance about what rigor means and how to balance different aspects of rigor. Although one interesting, and I'm extrapolating reading between the lines, okay. but it did occur to me in reading the study, and I haven't done done it as exhaustively as you have, uh, that uh, on the, and you know, I love curriculum. Yep. Uh, math Wait, teachers seem, Sorry. this just in, uh, math teachers or teachers in general seem a lot more willing to take um, curriculum for math than they do for ELA. That's true. Which is interesting. And, my, and I don't know this, but I assume it's because having taught taught elementary school, uh, a lot of elementary school teachers are just fuzzier on math. And on yes. ELA, you assume, oh, I know how to teach reading. That's right. I'm not sure I see the evidence. That's true. Uh, I will also, point. as a former teacher who taught under Common Core just for a year, uh, the math standards were easier for me to interpret. Mm-hmm. So it was very clear for me, like, yes, a student knows how to count to 100. No, a student does not know how to count to 100 than it was for some of the reading standards, really particularly point. around like asking questions. And ident- so they, those things are a right. little fuzzier. So it's easier, I think, to make materials and to make high quality right. materials that can be implemented at scale in math 
than it might be for reading. So yep. I think, and you're going to remember this better than me, Robert, but our Kathleen Porter McGee, who's mm-hmm. still affiliated with Cordon, once wrote a blog post about this very point that we're discussing, that the math standards in themselves, because of the nature of the math standards, are almost, almost are a curriculum. A kind of sort of de facto. Where ELA is more right. like, this is what you kind of need. To, this ELA are pure standards. Yeah, I think that's, that's fair right? to say that math curriculum um, standards and assessments are very tightly aligned. For ELA, not so much. But that's a flaw, not a feature. In other words, mm-hmm. it's interesting to me, curious even, that you have that tight alignment in math, but teachers are much happier to have a math curriculum handed to them based mm-hmm. on the RAND data. Mm-hmm. ELA, that alignment doesn't exist. You would think that they would want somebody to hand them a curriculum in a box, so to speak, and mm-hmm. say, here's how you get kids to read, doesn't seem to be the case. Mm-hmm. That troubles yeah. me. Right. I don't get it. But Either I think way. there's something. Yeah. But there's something in the difference between the personalities, I'm sure, of ELA teachers and math teachers, right? I mean, math teachers just are Wait a little a bit. In more... elementary school, it's the same teacher. No. Uh, well, Before well, third grade, sure. But uh, after third grade these days, a lot of students in a lot of classes. Here's are what I think, and then we can end this. Uh, I, I think that there is a tendency still to think of reading as a skill. So therefore, mm-hmm. it's about engagement. It's about getting the right book, the right leveled book, book into a kid's right. hand. So they're not frustrated. They're going to learn to love reading. Mm-hmm. Eh, it's a little bit more complicated than that. It's a lot more complicated than right. that. Right. That's right. And one thing they didn't um, concentrate on too much, which we will be having a survey ourselves the next couple months released um, is just this content-rich focus on mm-hmm. curriculum, right? Not as much data about that. So hopefully um, we can present some information on that. From your lips to God's ears. Mm-hmm. And to Pinterest, apparently. <laughs> all right. And on that note, that's all the time we have for today's Gadfly Show. Till next time. I'm Queen Elizabeth II. And I'm Melissa Schwenk for the Thomas B. Fordham Institute signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.